Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Welcome you to Grace Crossing Church this morning. Thankful that uh, you've joined us today. And I especially want to welcome that one person that's sitting here today in response to the billboard I saw at a church uh, this week. It said, make mom happy, go to church on Mother's Day. So if you're here to make your mom happy today, we're glad that you're here. You know, Mother's Day is a really complicated day for many people. I think in my years of ministry, I started out uh, just seeing Mother's Day as that special day to celebrate with that mom. And then as I've grown in ministry through the years, what I've begun to understand are the major complexities that a day like this brings into the hearts and lives of many people that are here today. I came into focus to me even this past year as we lost our first granddaughter. Our daughter uh, and son-in-law had a miscarriage, and that was a painful experience for us. And it was another reminder of how difficult a day like this is for many people, even having a child dedication. For many people, that's a tough thing to watch, depending on what you've gone through. And so I want to acknowledge all of our moms that are here today in different ways. There is a a reading that I came across uh, by a a lady by the name of Amy Young. She blogs at uh, a site called Messy Middle. And she wrote The Wide Spectrum of Motherhood. And and here's here's what it says, and I like this. To those who gave birth this past year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day, and wear the badge of food stains. We appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointments, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make it harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and disappointment with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of their own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way that you longed for it to be. To those who are step-parent, we walk with you on those complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests this year, we grieve and we rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness. We remember that you hold that child in your heart. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, 
we anticipate with you. This motherhood, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. Can we put our hands together and thank God for every mom at every level this morning, depending where they are? Well, this morning we are continuing our series called Breathe. Um, In this series, we are focusing on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. Author Francis Chan calls the Holy Spirit the forgotten God. I would add to that that I think the Holy Spirit is the misunderstood God. And because he's the misunderstood God, he is often the ignored God. And yet Jesus made a promise when he came to this earth. He delivered on that promise. The promise that he made when he came to earth is that when I leave, following my resurrection, I'm going to ascend back to the Father, and then I'm going to send to you a tremendous gift. This gift will be your advocate. He will be your closest friend and ally. He will be your helper. He will be your supporter. He will be your counselor. He will be your encourager. It's the Holy Spirit who I'm going to send from the Father. Listen, Jesus was God with us, but the Holy Spirit is God within us. That's the promise of Scripture. And so in this series, we're focusing on the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, in one of the earliest passages that we read where Jesus talks about and predicts the coming of the Holy Spirit, promises the Holy Spirit. It happens at a very unusual day that I want to give you the backstory on before we look at the text. And here's the backstory when Jesus speaks. It is on what was known as the Feast of Tabernacles. It's one of the three pilgrimage festivals for the Jewish faith. And what we mean by a pilgrimage festival is that everyone is encouraged to travel to Jerusalem during that particular festival where they can celebrate something that has occurred in the past. So these festivals are designed with really three aspects in mind. They are to be practiced in the present, but they are to point back to something that happened in the past and to foreshadow something that is coming in the future. So the Sukkot that it it was known as, or the Feast of Tabernacles, was actually celebrated and still is celebrated annually by those in the Jewish faith. And it does this. It points back to the time when God was supernaturally providing all of the needs of the children of Israel as they journeyed for 40 years through the wilderness. They had everything they needed. They They were not in want. God met them with supernatural food and manna from heaven. God supplied water that burst forth from a rock at the word of the Lord. And that's what the Feast of Tabernacles is looking back to. And Jesus, on the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles, stands up and he connects the dots. He connects the past, what God had done with the future, what God is about to do. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. On the last day of the festival... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers 
of living water will flow from within them. Back in March, uh, Kelly and I took a walk at Englewood Park, uh, up in Englewood where the dam is. And here's a picture of that walk that we took back in March of this past year. We were up high around the, the, the bridge that goes over the Englewood Dam and Englewood Park, and I took a picture at the top of that, of the river that flows there. Last week we were back there. Here's the picture I took last week of that very same dam. And we could hear as we walked down toward the water, there was a, there was a swirling that was happening. The water was draining somewhere. And so I had never walked on the other side of Englewood Park, on the other side of the dam. And so I decided I was going to take a walk, and we went a little further, and we went to the other side. And there I could see where that water that was draining from this side of the dam was finding its outlet. And here's a video, a very quick video I took of that particular rush of water that was coming out of those dams. Jesus said that anyone who believes in him, that from their innermost being would flow rivers of living water. The question is, what did Jesus have in mind when he said that? Well, he gives us the answer in verse 39. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up till that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. What Jesus does here on the Feast of Tabernacles is he connects the dots of the past where water came forth from a rock, rushing and satisfying everyone who tasted of it. And he said, what's going to happen in the future is those who build their life on the rock, me, Jesus, that out of them are going to flow rivers of living water. In that, I believe Jesus had in mind the gifts that God was going to give to those who would follow him, that we would have the resident presence of the Holy Spirit living within us, and that we would then have available to us and afforded to us all of the gifts that God would want to make available to us. So by way of definition and reminder, here's what we've been talking about over the last number of weeks with spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is an ability given by God either at birth or at the new birth for the purpose of serving others and glorifying God. A spiritual gift is an ability given by God At birth, like John the Baptist, when God, in Elizabeth's womb, anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Or at new birth, where God actually gives us an endowment of gifts that are not from us, but are from him. For the purpose of glorifying him and serving other people. So just a few things by way of reminder. Number one, spiritual gifts are received, not achieved. These gifts come from an abundance of God's grace and God's goodness. They are coming out of the vast supply of who God is, a God in whom nothing is impossible. So we don't earn these gifts. We don't somehow come into some kind of human merit system where we acquire them, but rather they are just what the Bible says they are. They are gifts. 
And secondly, these gifts are not for a select few. The Bible teaches they are for all believers, that God makes them available for anyone who is filled with his spirit, who has come to faith in Jesus Christ and surrendered their lives to his lordship and his leadership. Thirdly, these gifts are designed to move us toward maturity and ministry. That's their purpose. And the, and the final thing that we've talked about, which is really important, is that spiritual gifts are for serving others, not for showing off. That's not the purpose of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1. Here's our catalyst verse that we've been using. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So God wants us to be fully aware of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, over the next number of weeks, here's where we're going to land and and finish out this series. We're going to focus on three chapters of Scripture that actually help us get a better understanding of how we can be used in these gifts. We're going to focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14, Paul the Apostle actually tells us how we are responsible in our use of spiritual gifts. But tucked right in the middle of that chapter, is an, and of that book, is an entire chapter that is devoted to helping us understand the most important evidence that God's Spirit is operating in our lives and through our lives. It is what I would call the enduring evidence of God's Spirit in the life of a believer. Paul calls it love. It is the greatest evidence that we have been empowered, that we have been emboldened, that we have been enabled by God's Spirit living in us because we are doing something that completely points to the person of God. Now, I want to read this morning 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. And I want to read it to us from the message this morning. Here's what it says. What I want to talk about now is the various ways God's Spirit gets worked out in our lives. This is complex and often misunderstood, but I want you to be informed and knowledgeable. Remember how when you, uh, remember how when you were, when you didn't know God, led from one phony God to another, never knowing what you were doing, just doing it because everyone else did it. It's different in this life. God wants us to use our intelligence to seek to understand as well as we can. For instance, by using our heads, we know perfectly well that the Spirit of God would never prompt anyone to say, Jesus be damned. Nor would anyone be inclined to say, Jesus is master, without the insight of the Holy Spirit. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's Spirit. God's various ministries, let's go back to the previous slide, please. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's Spirit. Next slide, please. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere. They originate in God's Spirit. God's very expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. Each person is giving, given something to do that shows who God is 
Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. Now, when it comes to spiritual gifts, believers generally fall into one of three camps. They have one of three views about spiritual gifts. Some people believe that spiritual gifts are dispensational. In other words, some people believe that spiritual gifts were for a particular time and a particular season, and that when the apostles died, spiritual gifts died out with them. I do not believe that you can build that case according to Scripture. Some people believe that spiritual gifts are situational. In other words, they still appear, but they are random, and they are occasional, but they don't necessarily operate in the life of a Christian who avails themselves to God. And thirdly, some people believe that spiritual gifts are sensational. They are simply made to bring attention and wow people and and shock people. They are made for spectacular. They are made for television, which was exactly what happened in the 20th century with the televangelist movement, where people were exploiting certain gifts, claiming that they were given them by God. Well, this morning, I would give you a fourth alternative. And this fourth alternative I believe to be tremendously biblical. I think spiritual gifts are relational. I think they're relational. Which brings me to today's big idea. Spiritual gifts are intended to draw us nearer to God and closer to one another. They are intended to draw us nearer to God and closer to one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, or 4 through 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Don't miss that word that appears three times in these verses. The word different. We have different spiritual gifts. We do not have better ones. No one claims the market on having a particular gift that is better or superior to someone else. If it is given to us by God, by an act of His grace, out of the abundance of His goodness, then our gifts are not inferior or superior. They are just different. And it's important for us to note that. And the Bible uses a very interesting word here when it speaks about gifts. There are different kinds of gifts. The word is actually the plural word for the Greek word, grace. So literally, here's what it says. There are different kinds of graces. It is good to think of spiritual gifts as grace gifts. The fact that God has graced each of us uniquely and differently, I am not called to be you. I am not called to do the things God has called you to do, to strengthen the body and make uh, the kingdom of God advance. I am called and I'm responsible for doing what God has called me and uniquely engineered me to do on this earth. 
And it's my responsibility to take the grace that God has given and use it for His glory. And I think in that we have one of the great evidences and one of the great ways that we can evaluate whether or not a spiritual gift is truly from God. You want to know a metric that you can evaluate it by? Here's a good question to ask yourself. Does what I do bring grace to the recipients? Is it bringing grace to the people and to the person who is receiving it? I think it's one of the great metrics that we can use to evaluate whether or not a spiritual gift, so-called spiritual gift, is truly from God. So two things this morning I think are important. Number one, spiritual gifts are intended to draw us nearer to God. Spiritual gifts are incarnational, which simply means they are a supernatural manifestation of God through natural means. Now think of how much that we read about in Scripture and how much of Scripture itself is incarnational. In other words, it is God operating in and through flesh. The Bible says Jesus was the incarnation of God. He came and he was God in flesh. That does not mean he operated as God every so often. It doesn't mean he operated in the flesh every so often. What the Bible teaches about Jesus is that Jesus was 100% God, and at the very same time, he was 100% human, flesh. God was operating through his son on this earth as God, but through human natural means, the body. I would suggest to you this morning that the very word of God that we read is incarnational. It is the words of God that are expressed through human agencies. That's important. God does not override human personalities when he gives us the word of God. God does not put people in a trance. God does not take over their physical bodies. God works through them and through those human agents to write a word from the Lord that is divinely inspired that is divinely inspired. So what does God do? God used human agents in their own vocabulary, with their own personality, in their own cultural context, with their own historical realities to express his perfect word. That's pretty amazing. And we're given the Bible with 40 different contributors over a period of 1,600 years, and yet everything points to one author. And that one author is God. Well, I want you to think of spiritual gifts the very same way. Spiritual gifts are incarnational. God uses us despite our flaws and despite our humanity. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that God doesn't expect us to be perfect for us to be used by God? God simply says, I'm going to take you in your broken, flawed position and I'm going to choose to operate my Holy Spirit through your life. Now, God did not have to do that. God could have just chosen to use angelic beings to advance his mission on earth. But here's what he said. I'm going to create human beings. 
and I'm going to create human beings that are going to have the potential of having a free will, that have the potential of looking me back in the eyes of the Creator and saying, I don't want to serve you. And yet for everyone that will say, I do want to serve you, I want to give my life to you, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. To those people, I'm going to fill with my breath, my Holy Spirit. And they're going to walk on this earth and they're going to draw nearer to me as they function in the gifts that God has given them. I love chariots of fire. When Eric Liddell's running and he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When we do what God created us to do, we feel God's pleasure. We understand that we're pleasing and honoring him. And the second thing about gifts is that gifts draw us nearer and closer to one another. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Again, something from the Spirit can be seen in each person. Something from the Spirit can be seen in each person. Spiritual gifts make the invisible God visible. How is it that we see God among us? We see God among us when God functions through us, through the gifts that he's given to us. And it's important for us to understand that what God wants to do is God wants us to be drawn to one another in that. Here's what the Bible says the purpose of it is. For the common good. For the common good. You know what the word means? The phrase means? It means to bring together or to restore. So one of the ways, if, if, if the very first metric that we can use to evaluate whether a so-called gift is from God or not is grace, I think here's the second one we can use to evaluate it. Does it bring us together? Because God's gifts are never designed to cause confusion or create chaos. They are always designed to unify and to pull together. That's the purpose of them. Spiritual gifts will always bring harmony and order, not disharmony and disorder. When the gifts are used as God intended them, they will always be for the betterment of the common good. Everybody's hearts will be drawn together. And so God in the operation of spiritual gifts is not looking for perfection, but he is looking for the proper use of the gifts. And when they are properly utilized to the glory of God, what they do is they actually bring us nearer to God and draw us and our hearts closer to one another. Now there is a construct for this that the Bible gives to us. It's a teaching. And that construct that we have in Scripture that actually is designed to draw us nearer to God and bring us closer together is what the Bible calls the priesthood of all believers. The idea of the priesthood of all believers is a concept that is woven through all of Scripture that teaches that we as individual believers can come to God on behalf of other people. 
that God can have us come to him on behalf of others, and then God can have us go to them on behalf of God. So in other words, it is the idea that we are representing man to God and God to man. We have it all through Scripture. Actually, here's what 1 John actually says about this, really powerful. 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27. You have the gift that the Holy One, Jesus, gave you, so you all know the truth. Christ gave you a special gift that is still in you. His gift teaches you about everything, and it is true, not false. So continue to live in Christ just as his gift, the Holy Spirit, taught you. That, by the way, is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus. He was going to come and teach us and remind us of the things that Jesus has taught us. And we need the Holy Spirit operating in our lives to do that. Well, if you go back from the beginning of time, and you look at Moses who got the word from God, he's on the mount, the mount uh, uh, called Mount Sinai, he's up there to represent the people to God, and God to the people, and God gives him this word. In Exodus chapter 19, here's what he says. If you obey me fully... And keep my covenant. Then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to tell the Israelites. So it was not the idea that there would be a select handful of people. That was not God's original plan. They all said, we want a king, we want priests, we want prophets. And God says, listen, my plan is that I'd have a kingdom of people who would all be a kingdom of priests. They would all be a nation that would be my spectacular people who would be used by me. Hundreds of years later, then Isaiah actually prophesies this in Isaiah chapter 61. He says, you will be called priests of the Lord, you will be named ministers of our God. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but it bears repeating. All of us are not called to be pastors, but all of us are called to be ministers. One day you may retire from your job, but you will never retire from the ministry, according to the Bible. And so what Isaiah saw here is that we would be called priests of the Lord and named ministers of God. And following the resurrection of Christ, the early church is now beginning to get it. They get what God intended from the very beginning. And so the Apostle Peter writes his letter, and here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5-9. through 9. You are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is not for professional ministers. That is for every minister. The Bible knows nothing of professional ministers and lay ministers. That is a concept that has simply been created on this earth 
to maybe help us distinguish between roles, but the reality is, according to the Bible, there are no professional ministers and lay ministers. There are just those of us that are engaged in the work of God's kingdom that have yielded our hearts fully to him, that have said, God, we want to be useful to your kingdom. We want you to take us and use us for your glory and for your honor to serve other people. And so these spiritual gifts that God has given are not weird. They're not spooky. They're not taboo. They are actually designed to be relational, to draw us nearer to God and bring us closer to one another. I like what Mother Teresa once said about herself. She said, I am just a pencil in the hand of God. I think that's a good way to think of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are just pencils in the hands of God. No glory has ever gone to a pencil. Look what it wrote. The glory always goes to the author. Look what the author did. No writing instrument has ever been lifted up and received glory. It is simply what the author is doing to write his story here on this earth. And you and I are simply pencils that God wants to choose to write that story. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.